Uh, today's Bible reading comes from 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge to you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Thanks, Carl, for that. Well, I've got the, uh, the whiteboard out this morning, not because I'm not, an art- well, I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, as my kids will tell you. Um, they asked me to draw unicorns, especially Kyra, and unicorns are the last thing I can draw. Uh, well, no, it's probably not the last thing I draw. No, I can't draw much. So I, I was going to get a couple of dads up. Is any, anybody father artists, artists that are dads? <laughs> Lockie, budding fathers, yeah, Lockie. Anyone that, that's, yeah, Dave, oh, Dave McGruther. Yeah, David, do you want to do a, a drawing for us? I was going to get a competition going, but I don't have enough time. But David, would you be interested? I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see whether or not you could maybe create something in, in art form on the board. I've got some markers that could, and you don't have to, but that could, could uh, explore what, fatherhood means to you. Do you reckon you could do that? You don't have to. There's no pressure, but I just know David is, if you've never seen David's artwork, he's amazing. It's okay if you don't need to, it's fine. Cool, no problems. If anyone wants to, they're more than welcome to. I was going to have a competition, but we haven't got the time. Because I'm going to start a new series today, and uh, the series is all about healthy relationships and how we, uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to pull out some, some ideals on relationships. And that's, relationships isn't all about the relationship of, um, am, I, am I working all right? Can you all hear me all right? The relationship between uh, husband and wife or um, a relationship between father and son. It's relationships in general. Today I'm going to focus specifically on the men. Uh, because it's Father's Day, but even though I'm focusing on the men, uh, it doesn't mean that all uh, you wonderful women out there have to tune off, because you need to hear it so that you can encourage the men as well in their journey. And we're going to look from uh, Paul's instructions to Timothy, the relationship of Paul and Timothy, that fatherly, almost paternal relationship that Paul had towards Timothy. We're going to have a look at that and and, and look specifically about a couple of words that uh, Paul says to Timothy in the start of that, those verses that Kyle read to us. Man of God. Man of God. What does it look like to be a man of God? Let's pray. Our God, we just pray that this morning as we start out on this journey of, of what it looks like to be a man of God, you give us ears to hear, hearts to be transformed by your word, that we may leave uh, today um, understanding you a little more, and understanding how you want us to live in life a little more as well. Amen. Now, Paul first met Timothy in his second missionary journey 
from uh, he was going through Lystra, Lystra and Derby, and we're told in Acts chapter 16 that Timothy's mother was a Jewish believer. And you see that in Acts 16.1. But his dad was Greek. And it sort of disseminates those two things. His dad was Greek. Um, it sort of might suggest that his dad may not have accepted that uh, Jesus in the way that Timothy's mother had. Or even Timothy had as well. And it was, it was here that Paul took Timothy on board. And together they went and ministered all over the, the known world at the time. And at the start of the book of 1 Timothy, we find Paul writing to Timothy in Ephesus. And Paul calls Timothy his loyal child in faith. And it does speak to that paternal sort of feel that uh, was happening uh, within Timothy and Paul. Perhaps there was an element of Paul being a, a spiritual father, the spiritual father that he never had as such. A paternal sort of relationship. And through Paul's letters to Timothy, Paul gives some very practical advice as to how to manage the church in Ephesus, plus some real personal advice about how to be the person God was calling Timothy to be, how to be a man of God. So, and we hear these words in that reading in 1 Timothy 6.11. It says, but as for you, man of God. Man of God. What's Paul saying through this statement? I searched through the rest of the New Testament trying to find all the other times Paul or anyone else had used this, this phrase or called someone man of God. How many times in the New Testament do you think that might come up? Does anyone think more than 30? Less? More than 20? More than 10? More than 20? you got a few more than 20s? Yeah, good. More than 10 times? More than five? Once. Oh, there's only once. I could only find once. Now, it gets close. We get close with Stephen. Stephen in, um, in Acts um, chapter 6 is described as a man full of God's grace and power, but never used that word man of God. Just Timothy to Paul. Now, if we go to the Old Testament and do a search in the Old Testament with this word man of God, how many times, have a, have a random guess, how many times do you think it's used in the Old Testament? 20? 40? More than that? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Um, I could for, uh, the, the search that I used had 74. Obviously, if you use a, a search from a different sort of source, it might be a little different. Um, but, but around in the 70s, in the 70s. And, and uh, it was sort of given to men who were set apart for God's work. Some of the, the key ones is Moses in Deuteronomy 33 is called a man of God. Samuel is labelled a man of God multiple times. Elijah and Elisha. Both called men of God, man of God. And even King David, even though he had his downtimes, we know about his downtimes, he was still considered a man of God. These are all men who would say that are God's men. Men who displayed an example of godly living. And even as we dedicated after this morning, how we dedicated David to uh, living out his faith that Arthur could emulate so what does it look like to be a man of God in today's world? Well, the world is pretty different now. 
Yet in many ways, it's still fairly similar to the world that Timothy lived. We live in a world that's increasingly becoming equal between men and women, and rightly so. Yet there's still some unwritten expectations that men should be displaying in our society. Not necessarily what the church says, but our society might say. Unwritten expectations. The first one of them is that the man brings in the money. The, man, the world might think the man brings in the money. And regardless of the move of women's right in the last 10 years or so, there's still a societal expectation that the man is a key breadwinner. And the way I sort of, sort, of said, sort of saw this was when I used to go and take my kids to school, especially at Newport, we'd just I'd walk into the schoolyard, and there's a few stay-at-home dads, and I applauded them. They're fantastic men. And I applauded them, but they were treated... Differently, they were the sort of the, the the ones to the side, the outcasts. They weren't in that same sort of group as of, of men. They were even in some ways looked down upon. The man is the breadwinner in the world's expectations. Secondly, a man is a a, a winner. Full stop. Society sort of expects the man to be winning. Whether that's in work or in an achievement or in sport, whatever it is, men must be the winners. We have a staff, uh, KSBC staff footy chipping competition. And uh, I feel a piece of me failed because I came second last. <laughs> well, we, uh, I haven't actually heard who won, so it's, uh, it was a close, tight sort of race. I'll let you know maybe next week. That might be changing. And in, the, in generations to come, I think that will change, that men don't have to be the winners as such. But the reality of winning is that only a few really do win, don't they? Only a few make it the top of their tree in, in business or, or to be totally successful, to be the total number one. Only a few win. For those of you who played sport, you know how hard it is to win a grand final, whether it be basketball, netball, uh, baseball, whatever sport, football, it's hard to win. And not even the greatest of players of, of Aussie rules never won a grand final. It's always, it's not hard to win, but there's an expectation that men will win. Thirdly, men are expected to be physically strong. The stronger the man, the stronger the credence they might have in society. Fourthly, men are expected to be able to fix stuff. Uh, we've got a, uh, our, um, at home, our main uh, like toolbox is a, a nice pink little one with pink tools in it. It's, it's actually Solaris, and she probably uses it a little more than I use it. Well, that's not true. I've been the one that's putting up the pictures on the wall just recently. It's good. Um, after the one that I put up early in the year fell down and broke. So, <laughs> needless to say, this one doesn't sort of work for me. <laughs> I say that I'm going to fix stuff in the house, and Solari goes, oh, please don't. Um, anyway. But there's an expectation in our society, isn't it, that men fix stuff. Men fix stuff. Expectations that are placed upon men, and I'm sure there are, are plenty more as well. So in this world of high expectations on men, how does today's Christian man come known as a man of God? Well, Paul doesn't just use the term man of God, Timothy man of God, without some preface. In fact, the verses that, um, that we heard uh, this morning give us three markers that Paul, that Paul tells us what a man of God would look like, which is why 
we've all, all the men, if you didn't get one, get one on the way out, all the men were given a marker that will remember. There's three markers of what it means to be a man of God. So this morning we're going to look at that. Three markers of a godly man. The first marker of a godly man is that a man of God is known by what he flees from. A man of God is known by what he flees from. That first verse. But you, man of God, flee from all this. The word flee in the original language means to escape. And it gives this very distinct image of someone being captured but breaking free. So what's Paul telling Timothy to break free from? Well, if you've got your your Bibles open or if you've got it on your phone, however you might see your passage, um, you'll go just before the verses that we read in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy. I actually might have it on on the screen as well. It says those, this is what you break free from, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So what's Paul saying to Timothy to to escape from, to resist the grip of? Firstly, he says, flee from the love of money. Now, we need to hear this and hear this well. It doesn't suggest that the man of God won't work hard and earn a good wage and be compensated for what they've done. It doesn't say that at all. It's okay to work hard and get a wage, and even a generous wage. That's okay. It's okay to have a longing for a nice house and to have enough to feed the family and even to go on the uh, nice holiday. These things are okay. However, it becomes a problem when the longing for these things leads to a longing to make more money, which turns, makes us sort of want the more again. And in the end, that longing takes place of the most important thing, a relationship with God. It takes place of our worship of God, of our mission for God, of the, even the family system that God has created you to be in. Those key relationships. It's a trap for young couples more than ever today. I remember a few years ago in Newport, the house across the road was being sold. And it was a little weatherboard house that uh, was on a block that was smaller than ours. We'd had our, our land valued at $1.2 million. A rundown old house in, the, in, in Newport. Beautiful space, but it was, it was a rundown house. So we figured this will go fairly well. We might think about 900000 Smaller house, still needed renovations and work on it. Um, smaller block of land. Well, I went out and had a sticky beak at the auction, and I stood, stood next to my next door neighbour Sandra, and we watched it start at nine hundred thousand and rise to one point one two million dollars. We couldn't believe it. And as we stood there watching people bid, young families bid, and finally a young family, beautiful young family, um, got got it for one point two million. We sort of said to each other, "How are our kids ever going to afford to buy a house?" We couldn't believe it. How is our kids? going to be able to do that if they don't work beyond almost their, their, their needs to be able to get what they need to buy a house. And so we enter into debt and banks, well, they've stopped it a little bit now, but banks would, uh, back in when I, we were looking for ourselves, saying, we'll give you, well, we'll pretty much give you 100% of the loan. And so then you work harder and longer and still try and live the lifestyle you lived before you had a mortgage. 
And then all of a sudden, debt turns into a little bit more debt and money becomes your primary focus. All just to stay afloat and you don't even realise it. See, the love of money ends up becoming the love of stuff. I need to have this for the house. Or I need to have a better house. Or I need to be get something better than the, than the next person. Paul says, flee from it. He says, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> he says, no, <laughs> flee from it. Another thing that the, that the man of God must flee from is foolish and, uh, foolish and harmful desires and in verse 9. And what does that mean? Well, there's many temptations that can trap us, aren't there? There's many temptations that can, that can snare us in. We can think of just a few incidences in Scripture that hit to the heart, and especially of men. We think of the temptation of Jesus. He's tempted with power, isn't he? Power is something that can be very dangerous if it's used badly, or it can be used for the glory of God as well. Jesus' response uh, was strong when it came to his temptation towards power. First, he was tempted with food after 40 days of fasting. You think, well, that would be hard because he'd be hungry. But he was quite measured. He said, man will not live on bread alone, but on the very word that comes out of the mouth of God. It's in Matthew 4. When he was tempted to throw himself down and reveal God's provision of safety, he was still fairly measured in in his response. Don't put your God to the test. But when he was tempted with power, you can have all of this. You just have to lay yourself down before me. What does he say? He gets angry. He says, away from me, Satan. See, Jesus understood the temptation of power, and he said, no, flee from it. If God grants you some sort of power in some area of life, accept it, but use it wisely. Take it with humility. Don't seek to abuse it. Flee from the want of power. I'm also reminded of Joseph's flight when he was taken in by Potiphar. He's faithfully serving the household of God, uh, household, and God was blessing him, and he was finding favour in the eyes of the powerful Potiphar after being sold by his own brothers. However, he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife, who tried to seduce him, and he did exactly what Paul said to Timothy. He fled. He ran away. And in a world that has become increasingly sexualized, it's a trap for men, especially. Advertised is designed to capture the eye of men. The internet is a trap that can ensnarl men. The most respected of men have been undone by sexual immorality. And that doesn't even mean they've stumbled in a physical way. But maybe it's their minds been trapped in some way by the idea of a different reality that is actually an unreality. It's not real. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You know, the good news of Christ is that God wants restoration. So the, son, uh, the, so the man of God who has stumbled can be restored. We see it in David's life. King David's life. We don't have to be perfect men on earth. In fact, we can't be. But if you're not fled, or if you're not fleeing, you need to know that there's still hope. You need to know that you can get out of that life because God's grace is sufficient for each of us 
and even you today. God's grace means that you can start fleeing even now. Man of God, you are known by what you flee from. The second marker of a man of God is that a man of God is known by what he follows after. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this. But he also says, And pursue. Run after something. He says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. A man of God doesn't just flee from things and takes their eyes off God as they're running away, but also pursues the things of God. To pursue gives the picture of a chase. I'm going after it. I'm going to chase after it. And Timothy, Paul mentions six things to Timothy. They're not small things. They're major things that men of God, and in fact all of us, should hold high in value. Chase after righteousness. Seek to do what's right in the eyes of God rather than just seeking to do what is popular with the people around you. Pursue godliness. Righteousness sort of sees what what, uh, has to do with what is right in the eyes of God. Godliness is more about our character, which speaks a lot about our heart. Pursuing godliness means that we'll seek to live out the heart of God in our mind, in our thoughts, but also in our actions. The man of God should pursue faith, not just making a safe faith commitment. I'll show you that I'm faithful and things are going to turn out okay. But pursuing faith when the outcome is really unknown. It might be praying for someone at work or a neighbor, not sure, not certain how they're going to respond to you. It might be speaking into a situation which might be an unpopular situation to be uh, speaking to, not knowing whether you're going to get stung by it or not. So, man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Man of God, pursue love. Love God, love one another. A, a call to pursue love means placing God in the central point of our lives, that we may love him and love others. Man of God pursues endurance, or maybe we could call that patience. See, the idea of endurance is not about enduring the life that you've been given. I'll just get by. (laughs) Rather, it's having a sense of perseverance and resilience in faithful living. Man of God pursues righteousness, godliness, faith, love and endurance, and pursue gentleness. Gentleness. That's a different one. In our world where masculinity is defined maybe more by how strong we are or how tough we are in the battle, we're asked to find gentleness, to pursue gentleness. There's a, uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard it, the White Ribbon um, uh, campaign that speaks into uh, violence against women in the, in the family. Has anyone heard of that? Yeah. Um, and and that's, uh, I, I looked at that um, through the week uh, and just saw the statistics that are just shocking, absolutely shocking. The webpage tells us that domestic and family violence is a leading cause of homelessness for women and children, and on average one woman a week is murdered by her current or former partner. It's incredible in our society today. It can't be the case. 
Pursue gentleness. Changes that. When someone says something that gets you angry, how does gentleness look in that space? When someone cuts you off on the road, an easy one to get upset about. How do you pursue gentleness? So Paul adds gentleness to the list of attributes that we as men of God need to live by. So the man of God is known by what he flees from. The man of God is known by what he follows after, by what he pursues. And finally, a man of God is known by what he fights for. Verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. It seems like a a little bit of an oxymoron after just flagging the need for gentleness. But a man of God also knows when to stand up and fight. When I think of the the label of, of man of God given in the Old Testament, these were people who wouldn't back down from a fight, were they? Moses fought Pharaoh again and again. He'd keep on coming back when Pharaoh would say, I'm not going to let your people go, or I'm coming back for the next fight. David, he was willing to take on the giant when no one else would with a couple of pebbles and a slingshot. He was willing to stand up because the warrior that was before him said, your God is nothing. Elijah, he was willing to stand up to the most powerful person in the known world, Ahab and his scary wife Jezebel. These men of God were not people who were willing to back down from a fight, whether it be a physical fight or a spiritual one, because they were warriors in every sense of the word. They were people who would do whatever it took to stand up for the truth of God, regardless of the threat that it had to their lives. These were men who didn't compromise when it came to honouring God. And Paul now gives this charge to Timothy and indeed to the men of God. Fight the good fight of faith. Men of God, we're being called to be spiritual warriors. Men who stand for God and fight the good fight of faith. Now it doesn't mean we get our fists out and start to box on for Jesus or anything like that. But it means that we'll be prepared. That we'll take courage and will make a stand for Jesus when the time comes. So my question to you this morning, to the men, but even to the women, to the men, do you want to be known as a man of God? A man of God is known by what they flee from, by what they follow after, and what they fight for. For the women... Do you want the men in this church, the men of faith, to rise up to be like that as well? How are you going to help them? We've got to do this journey together. So let's stand up. Let's flee. Let's follow. Let's fight for Jesus. And for those faithful women and children that are on the journey, pray for your men. Pray for the men of this church. Because we know in today's world, we need strong, godly men of faith, interspersed into every part of it. Let's pray. Now, God, we pray that this morning, that as we've been thinking a lot about you as our Father, we ask that you give us strength and courage to be faithful faithful men and women of God. 
We ask that you help us to flee when we need to flee. We ask that you help us to follow and pursue, to run after the things that are of you. And we ask, God, that you help us stand up and fight when the fight is needed. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us your power. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. We're going to take up our community care offering through this uh, final song as well. So if you're prepared for that, uh, please, um, the offering will come around during the song. Thank you.